Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, this is Jory with Journey Forward with Jory Rose. And this is Dr. John with the Evolved Caveman Podcast. And today we thought it'd be fun to do a co-branded podcast on dating after divorce. And this is a really uh, topic close to our hearts because John and I have been dating, although I guess we don't really consider it dating right now since we're engaged, but we've been dating for six years and we both guide and counsel a lot of our clients in dating post-divorce. So we come across so many different things that people need to know about that our clients really find viable information and thought we'd come on and do a podcast to share what we have gone through personally, what we talk about professionally, and even what our lives have been like in dating post-divorce with others and with mostly each other. Yeah, because one of Jory's pet peeves is mental health professionals or just do-gooders with advice on how to date after divorce when, for instance, they've been in a relationship for 20 years. And haven't ever dated after divorce. Like it's a whole new world out there. I've got to say than when I was 17. (laughs) I I, was 13. That was like 50 years ago. (laughs) Wait, but that's not only my pet peeve. I mean, like, you know, I, I think you would say that, that, you might have some awareness that if you're giving these tools, there's a a deep insight of actually being in the experience of it that people who have been married for 20 plus years may not conceptually or experientially actually be able to communicate to their clients. I I don't know. You know, if I'm an incel, I don't need to be an incel. Well, I don't need to be an incel to give incel support and advice. True. True, true, true. Okay, fine. It's my pet (laughs) So therefore, we are going to talk about some of the things that, again, so many of our clients come to us with needing support, needing tools, needing guidance. And one of the things that both of our clients find valuable is that we're pretty vulnerable and honest about our own lives. And that level of exposure at times might be embarrassing stories or vulnerable things really helps people understand you're not alone. This is fucking hard. Yeah. And I I think that many of our our clients appreciate that. And you're probably going to find out more than you wanted to or bargained for on this episode would be my, (laughs) my guess. Um, And I also think that it's, it's valuable to hear you know, when even mental health professionals struggle with some of these things, sort of what did we learn? What are the pitfalls and what are the ways around those pitfalls or what are you looking for? Um, So I I find that my clients generally enjoy it when I share stories that I think are not just to feed my ego, but to genuinely help them in their journey. Yes. Cause baby, your client sessions aren't about you, right? (laughs) Shit. I knew I was doing something wrong. I I just, I just called you out. I'm so sorry. (laughs) So, you know, this is actually um, something that we've been talking a lot about and do we just want to jump right in? Do you want to go first? I mean, I guess you got divorced before I did. So you had a little bit longer time practicing dating before I ruined it for you. Yeah. Well, and, and so I, yeah, sure. So 
I mean, when I started dating after divorce, so I got separated in 2010, divorce was final in 2013, and sort of slowly dipped my toe in the water because I had no idea what I was doing, what to expect, what things were like out there. Um, and so I went, I mean, I think I tried a few blind dates where friends set me up. And then I was like, I don't really want to do that anymore because I don't think they have any idea what I'm looking for. Um, and then went to the dating sites and, you know, kind of played around with putting a profile up and just seeing what I could find out there. And I erred on the side of honesty um, because I, I think there's some people out there that I, I don't know, they want to cast the widest nest net possible. And so they err on the side of being less than honest. And in some cases, completely dishonest, which that always had me scratching my head, you know, at my head, if, if you put a photo up there of you 20 years ago or 50 pounds ago, I just don't know how that's going to go with starting a relationship, you know, because to me, you're starting a relationship on a dishonest foot. Yeah, it's a lie. And you and I both had this experience. I remember there was one guy and I know you started, but I'm just going to jump in so mm -hmm. we can kind of go back and forth. But there was a guy I met online and he was one of the only people who made sure that we had a phone conversation prior to the date. And I thought like, well, that's, I really appreciate how much he's taking some time. He wants to have a good conversation. The conversation was actually, it flowed. It was a pretty easy conversation. It was interesting. And I felt more confident in then showing up for the date. And he literally, I'm not exaggerating, was likely 150 pounds more than his photo. I was in shock and I'm a really polite person. And I think I barely just made it through one drink before I, I excused myself from leaving because again, yeah. it was like, what do you expect to happen here? And, and wait, isn't the only way that people can be dishonest on a dating app. I'm single. Well, okay. That hopefully that one doesn't come up a lot, but I know I've um, had a lot of female clients who have a hard time putting their age if they are mm. maybe close to 40, but you know, or maybe they are 40 or just over 40 that, you know, or 50 that those root marker ages, which seem to be a fear-based mindset of, Oh, I'm too old now. So they'll put an age a handful of years younger, but then what are you going to do? How, how are you going to catch up you know, and say, oh, sorry, we've been dating for four months. And actually, I'm four years older than my dating profile says. It's never going to start. Yeah, and, right. and I know I know some guys that are very short or on the shorter side, and they don't want to put their actual height up because they feel that they get screened out of a lot of people's screenings just because of height. Um, but let me go. Let me go back to a story. because I, I, yeah. There's a story that I have that I kind of love, partly because I learned so much from it. And it was someone that I met online and set up a first date and we went, we were going to go to fleet week because I wanted to go to fleet week in San Francisco and see the blue angels. And she gave me an address to come pick her up and it was in a condo complex. All right. So I go park my car, get out. I go to the, the condo where she said she lived. I knock on the door, wait a while, knock again, kind of getting confused. And after a while, an 80-year-old Chinese man opened the door <laughs> and I said, hi, does so-and-so live here? And he's like, no, 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 so, no, so-and-so here. And I was like, oh, what? Like, okay. And so did I went you back think to my you, car. Did you, did you think you got stood up? I had no idea. Like, I, well, I didn't think it was being stood up because I, I, I was confused. So I went back to the okay. car and I texted her. 
all of a sudden she comes like running over a hill kind of a thing, like waving her hands. I'm like, okay, so I guess I can let that go because, you know, she's concerned about safety. And so didn't really want to tell me exactly where she lived. All right, fair enough. But what I did is the the problem that I did or the, the mistake I made was locking myself into too much time for a date because it's, you know, fleet week and we got to go to the city. It's, you know, the better part of a day. That's going to be a six hour day right there. And when she showed up, she was the one woman that I had met that was, you know, 40, 50 pounds over what she had shared with me online. And the picture was much younger. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh. So one of the things that I tell my clients now is don't commit to a half a day date. Don't commit to dinner. Just say, let's go out to coffee and let's just talk for half an hour because you can tell a lot about a person in that initial screening of just, let's just meet for coffee and see if it's a match for both of us or maybe for a drink. But I really don't want my clients getting involved in drinking a lot in those early dating situations. Now, again, I, I would, I would clarify that I think this is if you're looking for a relationship, not necessarily looking to get laid. Right. Um, because I, I don't have a problem with either one, but I think you want to be clear on what it is you're trying to do. Right. I had two of those very long date, first date experiences. One was some guy, <laughs> I actually went to Marine World. I almost forgot about this. I went to Marine World for the day to go on a roller coaster rides. And it was actually quite fun. But halfway through the day, it was like, or maybe like two or three hours in, like, shit, how long do I have to stay here for? Because this was not somebody I was interested in. And at first I thought, well, that's a really creative date. Like that's something totally different. But yeah, that was too long of a day. Yeah. And I think for a second, third, fourth date, that'd be cool. Right. But first that date, was a first I'm telling date you, for me, and there was no second date after that. First date was just like, it's a screening date in my mind. And I'll tell you, there was another one that I had that I, I met this woman for a drink. Cause that was the only time we could meet was after work. So we meet for a drink. I didn't recognize her because she didn't look anything like her photo. And so I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, okay, I'm just gonna have one drink and then I'm out of here. And we talked and, and that was fine. The conversation was fine. And I, because I'm a gentleman or I like to think I am, I walked her to her car, gave her a hug, put her in a car and then went back to my car. And I'm just sitting in my car, kind of looking at texts and she texted me and she texted something like, wouldn't it be creepy if you followed me home? Uh, like it's, it was such a non sequitur. Like I didn't even know how to respond to it. I'm like, mm-hmm. cause there's at least two ways to interpret that one. She wants me to follow her home or two don't fricking follow me home. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't interested in either one. I, I was just like looking to get out of there. And so I said, you know, yeah, I'm, I made up something like, um, you know, I'm too old and I don't have the time to follow anyone home and sit outside their home. And so that was, that was weird. But then she hit me back up a few months later and said, my kids are out of town. Do you want to come over? And I was just like, "Mm, I got to say no on that one. I'm going to pass. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird one. I I went on a first date with a guy who was almost, I don't even know why I stayed. I think like 45 minutes late to the date. And I sat at this, Oh, this is a crazy story. I sat at this bar waiting and he texted and saying he was on his way 
showed up 25 minutes later, which means when he was already like on the bridge, he was, you know, probably just leaving his house. And I finally, at some point, I just got up and I left and I'm walking down the street back to my car. And I called him to say, thanks, but no, thanks. I've left. You're like an hour late. I'm not waiting around. Literally, as I'm on the phone on the sidewalk, I see a guy walking the other direction on the phone. This was the guy. I like literally pass him on the sidewalk. I'm like, okay, fine. I can hear you talking because I'm talking to you. And this is the guy on the sidewalk next to me. So I end up feeling like, okay, fine. I'll have one drink. I'm hungry at this point. Like I needed an appetizer. I've been sitting there like a fool for so long. I go in and we ordered chicken wings, probably not the best first date food to eat. But then like his first bite, he starts talking with his hand over his mouth and is covering his entire mouth with his hand as he's talking. Turns out in that first bite of the chicken wings, he chipped his front tooth. And he was totally embarrassed. And meanwhile, as he's talking about his front tooth being, or with his hand in front of his mouth, he goes on to apologize that the reason he was late was because his cousin had recently died and he was like in all this grief. And I'm like thinking, this guy's like a hot mess. Like he should Uh not be dating right now. And it was awful and uncomfortable. And so I ate my chicken wings and I'm like, you know, thanks, but I'm going to go start heading home. And like you, I'm a polite person. So I thought like, I'll give him a hug and, you know, say thank you for the our late chicken wings. And he says, oh, no, no, I don't touch on a first date. I'm like, I'm not trying to like accost you or, you know, I, I like, I, I was just like, I'm a touchy feely person. Like with a stranger, I would reach out and just touch their arms. Right. Like I'm just a kind yeah. person in that way. And that was pre COVID. That was way pre COVID. So he refuses a hug from me. And then says, so can I come back home with you? And I'm like, what? It was the most, every element of this was like, what the hell is this guy thinking? You're an hour late for a date. You chip a tooth. You're sitting here talking about all the grief that you're in, which I have a lot of compassion for. And not the kind of information you want to share on a first date. Yeah. You don't want to touch, but you want to have sex, which those two don't Oh my God. The whole thing, like that was one of my worst first date experiences ever. It was kind of a lesson in everything not to do on a first date. Well, and you know, I was really grateful for those early dating experiences because it taught me a lot. It, well, first it taught me I was desirable, which I think coming out of a marriage, you've got some questions about that. And so it, it, you know, my self-confidence started to go up. I started to realize that I think that I had something to offer in the dating pool. Um, and then I started to get choosier and started to come up. And, and this is one of the things I'll tell my clients is I want you to have a list of five must haves for who you're looking for. And then a list of, let's say three deal breakers. And so mine were integrity. Number one, I wanted someone who said what they did, did what they said, someone that was honest, straightforward. Emotional intelligence was a big one for me, which, you know, I wanted emotional granularity. I wanted emotional depth. I wanted emotional awareness. I wanted intelligence. I wanted good communication skills and I wanted a lifelong learner. And, and I found her, but anyway, so the deal breakers for me were, I didn't want to have any more kids. And so I didn't want to be with anyone that wanted more children. If, if you want children, that's great. Good for you, but it's not a match for me. Um, I didn't want anyone that I had it to save in some way because no, I no, think no rescue, a, no project, a lot of clients that I see get hooked by 
women that need to be saved and they need to be that white knight coming in on their horse to save the day. Not a real good dynamic in my mind. And then the other deal breaker was I didn't want someone that was emotionally volatile. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a reasonable list. It's not an easy list to find someone that fits that. Um, I you didn't even have lucky. beauty or you didn't even have beauty and attraction on there. No, because what I found is beauty and attraction are assumed for me. Like, and I'll tell my clients, like, I don't expect you to go out with anyone that you don't have physical attraction to. If you don't have physical attraction, like, right. That's a deal breaker to me. Like you're not even going to approach someone online or in real person. If you don't have some level of attractiveness to them. Right. Attraction. I, yeah. I, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had a very similar list because I went on a lot of first dates and not very many second dates. And I looked at those first dates as what a great opportunity to learn about myself and what it is that I'm really needing at this point in my life. I'm 37 years old. I had never dated before in my life. I was with my ex since I was 13. So I literally had not understood what it meant just to date. And it wasn't just about getting to know them. It was getting to know myself. How do I feel when I'm around this person? What is, how is the flow of conversation? What are the things that interest me? What are the things that I want to talk further about? Are they asking questions? Are they curious about me? Are they self-centered and only talking about themselves? This was a big one. Are they, um, this is a fine line on first dates post-divorce is talking about your divorce story. Uh-huh. But if, if, I, if I came across a guy who bashed his ex-wife, you know what, if, if, you know, I understand everyone has different divorce stories, but I want to know that you're a respectful person, even if you've been hurt, even if you've been put through the ringer, how you communicate about that to me showed your level of integrity, right? How, what kind of person were you going to be, even if you were angry? Um, I, you know, those were big. And pardon me, if I can jump in on that point, I think that it's interesting is can the other person take some degree of responsibility for the divorce, Mm -hmm. assuming they're divorced? Right. Right. Because I don't want to be with someone that's going to be like, Oh my gosh, it's all their fault. In fact, I think that's a really good red flag um, that maybe they're externalizing blame a little bit too much. Well, as it's, you know, I always say to my clients and you and I've talked about this a thousand times is relationships are co-creations, right? Mm -hmm. And even if one person acted out in the marriage, there's a lot of context underneath that acting out that was a co-creation that both people are responsible for. So that's a big piece of it. Um, I I once, you know, a major turnoff I once had on a first date was a guy who was never married and didn't have kids, which for me was a really hard thing for me because I realized someone who wasn't a parent was not going to understand my value set because my girls are my highest priority and I had 80% of the custody. So even just on a logistical basis, someone to understand and respect and Mm -hmm. honor my time constraints, the challenges of, oh shit, my kid is sick, I have to cancel. Like those kinds of things that only a parent can truly understand and have compassion for. But not only did this guy not have kids, he was giving me parenting advice. <laughs> and I and I was like, um, yeah, this isn't going to work. Like again, you know, first date issues. But I used to, part of my kind of little barometer or litmus test is I, because my kids are my highest priorities, I, and I do have the majority of the custody when they were younger, 
I absolutely said goodnight to them every night. So even if I was out on a date, if it was a quick text to goodnight or just a quick phone call to say goodnight, I love you. Uh, that was a test for me to see how somebody would respect me being a mom. And if I got chastised, disrespected, how dare you do that? You know what? Not, not my person. And not everyone's going to hold that same litmus test. But for me, where I was at that point in time, that was absolutely what I needed to have someone understand that to date me means you, you respect the fact that I'm a mom. Yeah. And, and I think along those lines, um, it's, you know, when you're dating post-divorce, typically you're dating people of an age that change is going to be minimal in the individual that you're dating. So I think it makes sense to go in with that realization that, you know, if they want to change, there might be some change possible. Maybe you get a little bit better communication, things like that. But for the most part, I think it's safer to go into a relationship post-divorce, not thinking that you're going to change this person. And I, I, I don't know, do you think I'll say my bias. I think females go into relationships more often thinking I can change my man. I think men are more like, I don't want my woman to change. Right. Well, I think women go in and they, they have higher needs and expectations. Sometimes mm -hmm. at surface level, you know, I, I want him to dress better. I want him to get his hair cut more often. I want him to, you know, um, yeah, as, as John rubs his hand over his bald head, <laughs> you know, but I think for some of those changes women want is their men to have a, a greater sense of personal upkeep. And, you know, I don't see that necessarily as change. Maybe you can turn the volume up a little bit on your self-care. Maybe men, if they've gotten into a habit of not working out or, you know, kind of dressing down when you have a, a partner who is always put together. You know, I don't, I, there's a difference there between growth and change. And if you come across somebody, though, who fundamentally is different than you, what, what are you going to expect is going to happen? Mm -hmm. I think you're setting yourself up for failure. And so I know for me, kind of going back to what my list was, and you and I both had this experience in which being in the professions that we both are in, you know, being therapists and being a mental health profession and having great awareness and insight, that was a huge threat to people. And I yep. think that was part of the reason I did not get asked out on many second dates because I think I intimidated and scared the shit out of some of these guys. They didn't want to know that I was aware and paying attention to their nuanced patterns and communication. And that was very, very threatening. So I was really seeking somebody who was emotionally evolved, who was emotionally aware and very similar to you, had that growth path, had that desire to learn and grow and just be a better human in whatever which way that looked. But, you know, coming from experience in which growth was not a high value, that became one of my top values. And yeah, you know, I think I, growth mindset's a really good one to look for, especially growth mindset as far as relationship skills go. Huge. And that's something that you and I get asked a lot with from our clients is how do I know this is the right person to stay with? And if they have a growth mindset and they're willing to learn the tools and the skills to be better in partnership, I think, you know, that's gold right there. Cause especially for women, the pool of men who are open and available to doing that is I think a little bit smaller than the available amount of women who are looking towards growth and change. Yeah. But it's, it's not easy. And did you ever get to the point where you were dating and got a little bit, I don't know, jaded or cynical or 
uh, maybe demoralized. Like, you know, there's no good men out there. And, and then, you know, you kind of get this, you bring this negativity in with you to those first dates. Did that ever happen to you? I, no, I never really got negative about it. And I, I, if I did, I don't think I brought that energy into the dates. I think I just got Tinder thumb as I called it. Cause I was tired mm. of swiping and, you know, pass, 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 because I was getting choosier, but I, I think I was optimistic yet not attached because this is something so many women get stuck on is they, the guy looks great on paper. Maybe they've had a phone call. Maybe they've had a zoom call now, you know, in this COVID world, maybe people are communicating a little bit differently before meeting in person. Cause I think that's a key thing to bring in now of like, now we're right. dating post-divorce in COVID, which is a whole different ball game. But I think women definitely, um, have a lot of attachment to, Oh, I hope he's the one he looks so great on paper and they put all their expectation on this date. And maybe it's a couple of dates and now they're letting, you know, whether or not he texts them efficiently and how often he communicates, determine their self-worth. And if it happens to go South after two or three dates, it's really easy for women to feel at that point that negative, this is never going to work. I'm always going to be alone. There's no good guys out there. And to me, I'm like, thank you universe for showing me he wasn't the right person for me because if he's mm-hmm. interested, he's going to let you know he's interested. If he's not interested, it's not because you're not a good person. It's because you're not the right match. And I right. say this to people all the time. He could be the best guy in the world. That doesn't mean he's the right guy for you. And so it's hard when you keep coming up against those people that seem good, but then aren't the right match to not make it feel personal. I I remember I had this client come in and he had been dating shortly after divorce and he plops down on my couch and he goes, John, all women are bitches. (laughs) And I just started laughing. I was like, and how's that attitude working for you out there in the dating world? Cause it doesn't seem like it's working that well. And, and I think, you know, that, that example brings up, you know, there's layers going on there. One, I don't think he was over the trauma of his divorce quite yet. So he still had some anger there, but two, I, I think that there's a mindset shift about, you know, I, I think we grew up on the Disney prince and princess story where there's one true love for us out there. And if you don't find that one person, or if they break up with you, then you're screwed, which just makes breakups so much worse. Right. And it also really makes the search for someone that you can fall in love with difficult. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to make that shift from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset that instead of just one person, there are thousands or tens of thousands of people that you can potentially fall in love with. And I, I do believe that to be true. I think there's going to be a variation within those relationships. There's some will be a little bit better than others, but I think you can fall in love with a lot of people. And so I, I think to go from that mindset shift to going to abundance is really helpful. The other thing that was really helpful is to practice non-attachment at the front end of going into any first date mm-hmm. of just, you know what? there's a thousand people out there for me. If this one may or may not work out, doesn't really matter. All I'm doing is going out there to be curious and to trade some stories. 
And if I make a friend, great. If not, that's okay. If I meet someone that I want to date, great. If not, that's okay. And so I think having that attitude of curiosity yes, and just being willing to meet people and talk and trade stories was a really, really good way to go. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and that is really easy for my clients to feel that lack mindset. And once you're in lack, it's really hard to speak to the abundance when you don't have the experience of that. And so that's where I don't think I would bring that negative energy into the date per se, but I think I would have some of that lack mindset fundamentally in how I was thinking about it in my head. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge for that. And, you know, and to even recognize, you know, when you're dating, I mean, you and I used to always say this in the beginning, you know, to not be attached, but then we got attached quite quickly. So then it became fuck non-attachment, but you know, (laughs) how, how, how quickly do you, it's a fine line between being partnered and being exclusive. And if you're sleeping together and if you are sleeping with other people, if you've been dating around, which there's nothing wrong with that, just, you got to be honest with the people that you're sleeping with, Mm -hmm. but especially for women, you know, if, um, they're not certain if their partners are being honest about STDs or if they've had a vasectomy or not, and they're trying to convince them to not use a condom. And, you know, I think as we all do, but women especially need to protect their bodies. And it's a conversation that is really hard for women to have. Cause when it comes to having sex with a new partner, many women say, you know, I'm fine sleeping with someone pretty early on, but I'm not comfortable if he's sleeping with somebody else. So how do I have the conversation to say, I'm not ready to be exclusive because we're not there yet. We're only been dating a little bit, but how do I have the vulnerability to open up the door to say, I'm not ready to be exclusive, but if you sleep with other people, I'm not ready to sleep with you. Like it's a tricky, tricky conversation to navigate. It is. And I think you get better with experience. Um, well, and the STD one's tricky too, especially if you have one, because then mm-hmm. you've got to have these conversations over and over and over. And you're going to get met with some pretty brutal rejections at times, I would think. And oftentimes at a very intimate moment in the evening. Right. So I I think a great way to go is to frame it as, you know, uh, I need to protect my body. And if you're sleeping with other people, then I always need to use a condom or I need to know like whatever your value set is around it. But it's a fine line because that a lot of women that I've talked to about that conversation they fear that the man is going to feel like, oh shit, now she wants to be exclusive and that's going to scare them off and kind of shut them down, especially if it's early on in the relationship. Which is Mm -hmm. even a crazy question is when is it considered dating to when is it considered to be a relationship? I don't think anyone has the answer to that one. I mean, I I think because to me, relationship implies exclusivity. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're in a polyamorous relationship. And I remember, you know, I had, I was talking with a young kid, I think it was like 26 a while back. And he was telling me of his polyamorous relationship. And he told me of this book called the ethical slut, which is kind of the polyamory Bible. And I remember thinking at the time, like, Oh my God, no, like I couldn't do that. That's, you know, I get too jealous. Like I get too attached. Like I couldn't do that. But I remember it started me thinking about this whole idea. And it was interesting in that I realized in some of these early relationships that I had that I would get too attached too quickly. 
And so as a way to guard against that, I decided I would just date that I wasn't looking, I, would t- I was telling everyone, I wasn't looking for a long-term relationship. I'm just looking to date. If you want to sign up for that, great. If you don't, I totally understand. Was there a sign-up sheet you had? We're all adults. We'll know that, you know, in the bathroom, there was those little tear sheets, right? With my name uh-huh. and number and photo. Oh, uh-huh. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so sign up, It's a really good here. tip. That's Dr. the pro John. tip if you're looking for it. Um, that's just, that's humor for those of you who don't know. Um, but I, I think it was a really valuable exercise and it only went on for a few months, but just to date multiple people, it means that you can't, you can't get overly attached to any one person at any one moment in time. And your time is necessarily split. And then I met you. And then I was like, well, apparently it worked because this is the (laughs) one that I want to be exclusive with. And so I threw all the rest of that out, but I think it's a really valuable experiment. And I also think the other thing that kind of floored me is in the book attached about attachment styles and adult relationships. If you have an anxious attachment style, they say that's, that's one of the interventions. And I was like, mm. shut the front door. Like, get yeah. Yeah. I, I want to tell our story. I know we've shared about it on the podcast in the past, but it's been a long time. But I want to go back to just one more thing because my COVID brain made me not remember it when you brought it up. When it, I'm going back to some of the dating site tips, like for people who are doing dating profiles, um, because that's something I actually help a lot of clients with. And, yeah. um, you know, this isn't this, this podcast today is really as much of giving you guys tools as it also is just, you know, sharing viable information about our own story because it's happening in in real life. We got to be able to share vulnerably our journeys with you guys. But I think something really, really tricky that I struggled with, with dating sites and doing those profiles. And you mentioned a little bit, but I want to expand on, am I posting things that I think is going to get traffic or am I posting what I really want and need and really who I am? And in the beginning, because I had never dated in my life, I was very much like, who's going to want to date me? I don't know how to do this. Like, I need to kind of put together what looked like the best package. And I didn't actually put down who I really was and what I really wanted. And I wasn't lying. So I wasn't like I was being dishonest. I think I was putting the surface level shit when mm-hmm. what I really was seeking was the depth. And that's likely why so many of those first dates never turned into second dates, because if I posted the surface level stuff, I was getting met at that level. And no wonder it wasn't a match because I wasn't actually authentically putting up what I was really, really seeking. But then I had to play like this game in my mind to say, well, I'm afraid if I write down that I'm seeking what I really, really want, that no one's going to respond to that. And well, so and, and it's I, this balance a little bit. Right. That's what I was going to say. I think you go back and forth and I, I would encourage people out there to play around with their profiles. But I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the, cause I think your initial strategy could be characterized as cast the widest net possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think, and, and I think I did that too at first. I think most people do, but I don't think it's the best strategy. Well, if again, if you're, it's different, if you're looking just for sex than for a relationship, Um, If you're looking for sex, that might work for you. If you're looking for a relationship, I think you're not trying to cast the widest net possible. I think you're trying to narrow it down to the fewest candidates. Mm -hmm. And then you can go through those candidates a little bit more in depth. And so I think to put out there, 
you know, like even your list of must-haves and deal breakers, put out your values, put what you're looking for in a partner in terms of values. And I, I, there's different ways to do that. You know, you can do better than, you know, A is better than B, like that's kind of a fun way to do it. You can, um, you can make it humorous. You can put it in superhero terms, you know, as different superpowers. But I, I think that what you're trying to do is be authentic and be honest and be real about what you're looking for. And then the other thing that enters into the equation is photos and mm -hmm. always have a photo of you alone. I can't tell you how many profiles I came across that were only pictures of groups of women. And I like, had the same thing. Groups of guys. Which, which one, one is she? Yeah. Who is he? Yes. Is she the cute one or not? Yeah. And, and, and it was you, frustrating. You, and I would just pass on those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, because it was, it, to me, it screamed insecurity, mm -hmm. you know? And also, I don't want to be dating someone that is so, so, so over-involved in their social life that they're not actually serious about a relationship. So if I saw all those group photos, I would think I'm not really sure he wants to settle down into well, and maybe a you're dating a group of friends along with that person. Yeah. And if those friends don't look like my style, then that's going to be a challenge. But, but I think, I yeah, would, let me, let me put up one more point there about the photos, because I think that one of the things that's important, so you've got a solo shot of yourself that looks good. That's honest, you know, present time. Um, I think if you have kids, you know, you can put your kids in with yourself, but I'd white out, I'd block out the, the photos, Jory saying no. No, that's what I was gonna say. I would I don't like it when I would see guys posting pictures of them with their kids. And being a dad is a huge value of mine. And I had come across some of my ex's profile photos that had pictures of my kids with him. And that even though I post photos on Facebook and Instagram, something about it was like, don't use my kids to learn a woman. And something about it felt kind of icky to me. So maybe that what was about my a puppy. Bias. Oh, puppies would be good. <laughs> but, but I well, like the same your, luring technique. I mean, I know, or it could I, know be. I agree. But I, I like your idea of blurring out the kids' faces because unless you've asked their your ex for their permission to put your yeah. kids' photos on a dating app, I think depending on your divorce, it could get into a sticky situation. And I think it's just safety. Yeah, I don't know because that's here's, what I was going to say. Like, I just thought it, it. It you would think it would have been a value of me to see it, but sometimes it just was like, ah, yeah. It when, kind of okay, so so we're we're on the fence about that one. But the other thing is, you want to put photos of yourself out with friends having a good time, and so I've told that to single men at times, and they're like, "Well, I'm just coming out of a marriage. Like, I don't really have any photos of me." doing stuff with my friends. I'm like, okay, we well, don't even have any friends it. coming out right. of a marriage. That's another layer. Exactly. That's and, and so a, you got to make friends, which can be a little bit of a challenge. That's and a whole then another B, podcast conversation. You gotta th yeah. You got to think about it when you go to a concert, when you go fishing, when you go skiing, whatever it is that you do, snap a selfie with you and some friends up on the mountain so that you can include it in your profile, because I think that's a really attractive piece of it. It's like, okay, yeah, look, I'm back. I'm enjoying life. These are some of the things I like to do. Or if you don't do it with friends, I think even just your own activities being out in the world, even if it's you skiing alone, even if it's not with a group. I mean, hopefully people Sorry, are there masturbation you, but... just came to mind. <laughs> John, we're not doing that kind of conversation just uh, yet. Okay. I said, what yes. about dick pics? When, when can we send dick pics? 
on that topic. Think, That's a great segue. Uh, Thank you. No, no, no. I, no, I think actually, <laughs> I would say as the woman, don't send them without asking if you'd like to have one. Because mm-hmm. I hear stories all the time of women getting bombarded. I think it is never going to be like, oh yeah, I want that right now. It, it does bring a little bit to that. It, it does bring a little bit to that saying of getting slapped in the face with a bag of dicks. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's like a whole new visual there. But but I, I think when it's a man sending a photo to a woman, it, if it's sent unsolicited, it is never going to go the way you are hoping it's going to go. Well, that's just like a cat that, call on different. the side of the highway or the side of the yeah. road. Yeah. Yeah. So I think to kind of sum up where we're at, because I want to be able to get to a little bit about where, when we met okay. and how it was for us when we first started dating. But I think to recap, you know, the dating profile is important to be authentic and yet not overly specific to be able to have the photos that are going to show you actively in your life, engaged in life, doing things that are authentically you, um, how to be not attached early on, how to have your value set, your, your, deal breakers, your must-haves, but even within the deal breakers or must-haves, no one's going to likely check every single box. And I think we got to know which are the core because there are some that, you know, I, I, I well, know women who have a very long list. That's so, what I was going to say. Yeah. On that point, you can't have a list of 26 must-haves. No. Or if you do prioritize and take the top five. Yeah. And the other thing And this is a question I get a lot of, I've got on this first date. It seemed to have gone well. I'll give them another try. I didn't feel it, but I'll give it another shot. And then the second date comes along and they're like, well, I didn't find them that attractive. I, they don't really have, you know, features that I really want to look at They're They seem to be kind of, you know, have some similar interests, but I didn't really feel excited. I didn't really feel attracted, but I'm going to give it another shot. So like a lot of times people want to just give people the benefit of the doubt of let me keep giving it another try. And I'm going to say, you guys, we don't really want to have that much time. <laughs> like seriously, too nice. how, much free, being too nice. how, how much free time do you have? And who are you trying to prove something to? And it's okay to draw a boundary to say, thank you. I don't think we're a good match. And if you don't have that excitement, that's not to say things can't grow. So here's the other side of that coin, because we both got clients in which sometimes things take time to evolve. Maybe you're doing your work still. Maybe there's some things you're working out emotionally, or maybe your divorce isn't final yet. We don't even talk about that one. Yeah. But, you know, at what point do you truly not give it another try versus let me just see how this evolves? Well, and so, I like that piece of advice, if I can jump in there that, and, and I think that's why I like the half hour coffee, because to me, I really like that piece of advice of if they're not a fuck, yeah, they're a fuck no. And, and so you can tell that within the first 30 minutes, typically. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you save yourself a lot of time and heartache and worry. If you can just say at the end of it, oh, you know what, I'd really like to do this again. I really enjoyed this. Or, you know what, this was not a good match for me. I wish you all the best in your dating. And, you know, if you need to practice that line in front of the mirror, so it just becomes automatic, it's not that hard to say, and you save yourself so much pain and suffering as a result. But but here's the thing that is missing in the fuck yeah or fuck no philosophy. Not that many people 
know themselves well enough to know what is a yes or is a no. And if they have a lack mindset, that's where they get in the loop of giving people the benefit of the doubt to just see maybe it'll be a fuck yeah in a couple more dates. And that's a hard one. Like I have clients who get stuck and I've had clients who get stuck in that dynamic. So I think it's about discernment with, you Mm -hmm. know, doing some of your internal, internal work to know how do I go about making decisions? How do I go about Uh, finding what's the right match? Part of it, I would say is emotional awareness, you know, knowing what you're feeling in the moment. Part of it is how well do they map onto your list of must haves and deal breakers? Yeah. Okay. One more thing before we get to our story. What do you tell your clients about how soon of your divorce now is that separation or divorce final? Because that could be three years for some people. How soon should you start dating? What would you say to clients who ask that question? I, I make a distinction between sex and dating. In other words, if you're separated and it's okay, like you and your ex have agreed that we're done you know, we're going to see other people. I would say go out there and have fun, have some sex, see what it's like to have sex with someone that, you know, thinks you're attractive again. Um, and, but don't look for the one right out of the gate. Like, and, and I like that term, the waffle, that the yes. waffle is the person that you first have a relationship with after the marriage, but before you meet a better one because that person is waffled between two relationships. And I think a lot of us get See, I have a different definition of the waffle. Waffle relationship. Oh, go ahead. That the first one that you make in the pan, like a pancake, it's never going to be good. It always comes out. You kind of have to prime the pan. Never so the good first enough. One, it never comes out that good, but the second one generally comes out much better. So the first person the first one still like the tastes waffle. good. It just doesn't look very good. <laughs> yes. Depends how far it's you want to still, go with that. But anyway, it's, it's still undesirable. I, I'm just saying that I, and I think, you know, when you come out of, so as far as, you know, when I, I think it's, you know, anytime that you know that that marriage is over and you have an agreement with your ex that we're done, we're going to see other people, then it's okay to go out and kind of stick your toe in the water. But what I tell clients is, please don't go out there looking to get into a hot and heavy relationship right now, because it's not going to work out. Even if it does work out, it's likely not going to work very well. So you're better off, I would say, discovering who you are, what are your wants? What are your needs? What do you like? And use this time to learn about yourself and the other sex, assuming heterosexuality and, you know, kind of dating so that when you do have some breadth and distance from the marriage, you can actually then begin to date in earnest. Absolutely. And one of the things that I tell clients is very similar, but once your divorce is final, that to me is a new starting ground. It's almost like a new point zero. So prior to that, if your divorce isn't final, you are dealing with time, energy, attention, emotion, logistic, likely lawyers, You are dealing with a lot of stuff that's taking your attention away from actually focusing on looking to the future. And when that divorce is final, you're going to realize how much time, energy, and attention is being lifted out of your day and out of your mind that you actually feel more free and available and centered and grounded to be able to actually be available for another person, assuming you've also in that space 
done your own work and taken some time right. for yourself, which is important because for all of you listening, if you don't do your own work, you are likely going to find a partner who's just going to repeat the exact same patterns that you had in your marriage. It really is really helpful to actually get curious of what didn't work and what was my part and where can I grow at this point in my life? Because those patterns will repeat themselves if you're not aware of them. Yeah. And those are subconscious patterns that you're talking about. And so people generally don't have much awareness at all of what they're doing. Um, But yeah, you'll repeat patterns of intimacy, of distance, of power. Um, and, And I think it's really important to begin to look at honestly, objectively with some distance. What was I doing? What were the patterns? Yeah. Should we share our story? Please. So I like to say that I manifested John, that I don't think he really existed before um, we met because I I actually manifested him on a piece of paper. (laughs) It's just like weird science. (laughs) So after, you know, um, about a year and a half uh, post-divorce and dating and really not finding the right partner, I was beginning to get some of that lack mindset. But I wasn't coming from it in a place of I'm going to be alone forever. I was really coming from a place of I'm just not finding the quality people that I believe I'm worth being around and worth being in relationship with. So I got off all dating apps and there was a quote that I had found that changed my life. And the quote is by the ancient poet Rumi. And the quote is, what you are seeking is seeking you. And it literally shifted everything because prior to that quote, I felt like I was on this search to find someone, but then I realized, oh my God, someone's looking for me. Like someone actually wants all the qualities that I have in a partner and they are looking for me just as I'm looking for them. So it brought me a lot of comfort and ease that there is a person for everyone. And if you can be patient and be aware of what that it is that you're looking for in that clarity. It's much easier to find what you know what you're looking for. So uh, I had sat down one day and I took out a piece of paper and I wrote at the top, what you seek is seeking you. And I wrote a letter titled Dear Future Partner. And I started off with all the things that I was full and complete in my life, what I was grateful for, um, what I was really proud of, what I was, you know, feeling confident in. And then I wrote down what I still had room for. And then I got very specific about the qualities that I was looking for. But the thing was, after I wrote this, I literally, I meditated on it and I put the piece of paper away in my file cabinet and I just released it to the universe. I just let it go. I wasn't trying so hard to now find it. It was my moment of really, really, really getting still. But most importantly, I think the shift was, it was the moment I realized I don't need someone. I'm actually good on my own. And I think the line from Jerry Maguire, if you complete me, is is fucked up because no one can complete you. Like I needed to realize I'm a whole person on my own. I didn't need a replacement husband. I didn't need a replacement father for my kids. I didn't need someone to live in my house and take out the garbage for me to feel safe and protected at night. Like I was good. And when I finally got to that point of recognizing I'm whole and complete on my own, And I still really want a partner and I now have clarity on what I want to bring in. Well, 10 days later, I 
downloaded Tinder again. And I told myself, I'm not there to look. I'm not there to look. I'm just going to go back into my inbox to see if there was anybody who I'd been talking to that I would wanted to continue the conversation offline. Well, I didn't have to swipe at all because when I re-downloaded Tinder, John's profile was the one staring at me. And two things caught my attention. One was his beautiful blue eyes. And two was his credentials because I hadn't felt like I had met quality men who kind of were meeting me where I was at on a professional journey. He had a PhD in educational psychology, and he also had listed there that he was a consultant on Pixar's movie Inside Out because he an anger management expert. And I thought, oh, my God, that is so hot. He's an expert in emotions. <laughs> but I will have to say, like, had I, you know, th- th- had I been really early on in my dating I might have overlooked because I never dated a bald guy before. I never dated someone 10 years older than me. Like some of those things that early on, I think people have like that, what I want the person to look like. You got to let that shit go because I found the love of my life in a package. I didn't think it was coming in. You know, you have to be open to these things. And so I swiped right and it was a match. And within maybe like what, like an hour, how soon? It was fast. Yeah. Within like an hour. Yeah. He was texting me and he actually, or messaged me through Tinder. And then we exchanged phone numbers, I believe. Um, and he actually asked me out for a drink that night and I couldn't go because I was with my kids, but we had scheduled instead to meet for lunch the next day. And what were you thinking at that point? Cause I was your first Tinder experience, right? <laughs> yeah. The first and only person I met on Tinder. Um, I was excited. I, I was smitten by your blonde hair, by your looks, by your green eyes, amber eyes. Um, <laughs> he got my eye color wrong. I'm, I'm well. colorblind. <laughs> um, and I, I love the, I think you had mindfulness teacher or mindfulness mm-hmm. consultant up. And I was like, oh, that's cool because so she already knows about some of the stuff I teach and she's got to be somewhat aware given that she's been doing that. And mm-hmm. And she was local. Mm-hmm. She was not that geographically was undesirable. Thing. She wasn't like in Texas or something. I mean, we literally are an exit apart, which is crazy considering all the Bay Area that we could have, you know, had a a, a net cast. Yeah. You know. So. So I was pretty was, excited to answer your question. Yeah. Well, that night I went to bed reading a psychology magazine and I was reading an article on couples counseling, one of which I was trained in, the other which I was not really aware of. And lo and behold, I walk into the restaurant the next day for lunch and John was actually reading the book mentioned in the article from the night before about the kind of couples counseling that I had never heard of. And it just felt like there's a word in Yiddish called beshert which means it's just, it's meant to be like, what were the odds of you reading the one book from the article the night before? So what even made you do that? Because that was something that you had actually picked up on a tip from somewhere. Well, I, yeah, I mean, so there was a dating process that I went through, like with a a matchmaker for a minute. I think I went on two dates or three dates with them, but they would say, you know, you're going to meet so-and-so at this restaurant or this bar and have a book with you. Tell me what book you're going to have. And so I would let them know. 
And so the woman could come in and look for that book and know that it was me that she was looking for. And so I, I thought it was an interesting twist and, and one that would tap into someone with more intelligence. Um, and I thought, well, I'm just going to bring what I'm reading and what I'm interested in, which was uh, Sue Johnson, right? Emotionally focused therapy. Mm -hmm. Sue Johnson. Mm -hmm. Is that the right name? Yeah. Yeah. The book um, was called, the book was hold me tight. Oh, uh, that's right. That was her workshop too. Um, and it, it's amazing work. And I just thought, well, if, cause I don't know at that time, if I knew you were training to be an MFT, I, I can't remember I if it said that in the profile, probably not. Um, but I, I thought that it also showed that I was into learning about relationships and emotions. Cause I, I really think that one of the biggest problems that men have in relationship is they don't understand the importance of emotions in relationship and how just talking about emotions can turn most women on. <laughs> Why are yes, you laughing? it does. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, really, I mean, that's the biggest, that's the biggest complaint I hear from women in relationship is I can't connect with my man. What are they really saying? They're really saying there's no emotional, there's connection. no emotional depth. Yeah. There's no listening. So, there's no emotional awareness. There's no validation and so on. And so that became a bit of a joke with you and I, mm. you know, a joke that wasn't we, a joke. Well, no, it wasn't a joke. It was a reality, but it was, it was mind boggling because it was like, we'd have a great conversation and be like, are you turned on now? <laughs> it was like, just the conversation was enough because yeah, for women, that is a huge turn on. And then it became a joke and I would be like, honey, I'm really melancholy right now. And then I'd be like, are you turned on? <laughs> you excited? <laughs> yeah. Does that excite you? So, so that first lunch was just this amazing, I, I describe it as like this professional volley game of, you know, back and forth. Because ping pong. It was, it just was like all these different ideas and people. It was like, oh my God, you know who Dan Millman and John Kabat-Zinn is like, that's amazing. Like, you know, these things that were so specific and yet highlighted some of these really deeper values that you and I really held at high regard. Yeah. So we had a, an amazing lunch, but that never even got to like a personal conversation because that was we all ended professional. Up, yeah. Well, I, but not just professional. I mean, I, I, and I think that's one of the things I tell people now is don't undervalue shared interests. Mm -hmm. Like if you can find someone who shares some interest with you, it's such a game changer. And for us, that was one of the big shared interests. Yeah. Huge. Still is. I mean, it's yeah. so exciting for us to have those intellectual in-depth geek out conversations, um, those kind of topics, but we never quite got to more of a conversation. And so something happened on that first date that I had never, ever happened before. Well, the first date in and of itself was unlike any other first date I had. I definitely was like, Ooh, this is different. And this is good. Like I'm excited about this, but what was different about that first date was before we left, John had asked me out for a second date for the very next morning for coffee. Well, and, and so we had coffee at a Pete's the next morning. And I also had the same sort of excitement about jewelry. I was like, Oh, there's something here. Like this could be good. And so one of the things that I did, which I will never <laughs> apparently live down well, there's a couple um, things is, you're not going to live down from these early I, dates. <laughs> I, I dressed up 
in a suit because I wanted to impress her, but I never wear a suit. I don't like suits, but (laughs) but, you know, I I looked pretty good in a suit. So, you know, it, it helped great in a suit. So yeah, he walks into Pete's wearing this dark blue suit was very handsome. And it, it, you know, it really flowed from there. I mean, I never went back on any dating apps and, you know, this was something that for me, it was like, I want to focus my energy and attention because a lot of people, the challenge, nothing wrong with it. But when you do find someone you're interested in, then you have that mutual feeling that, oh, there's something here. Be really mindful to not overextend your energy to too many other dates because energy flows where attention goes. And You know, it's a fine line to know when do I narrow it down and just focus on one versus when do I play the field a little bit. But for both of us, there was something quite different there. And when people say, you know, how will I know? Well, you just kind of know because it'll be in a mutual exchange of energy that is not tangible, but you'll feel it. Well, and you're both drawn to each other. You both want to communicate more often. You both want to see each other more often. Like it's never enough. You can't satisfy that need. Hey ladies, if he wants to text you, he will. Yeah. If he's not texting you, it's likely because he's not all that interested. And if you're sitting around waiting for the text, go move on and go take care of something else and go, go, don't wait for that. Because if he wants to reach out, I promise you, a guy who finds someone he's interested in is not going to let it go just because he's busy. Yeah. You well, make I, time for what you want to make time for. I, I think we have to to wrap this up, but I, I also wanted to add that. So Jory and I are going to do these, I don't know, maybe once a month, if yeah. you know, depends who's holding us to that, but we're going to try and share some of the stories and places where we've gotten stuck in the past, where some of the ahas we've had in relationship Um and some of the ways, some of the best tools that we know of that we practice in our relationship that have kept it going strong for over six years now. Yeah. So I love having these conversations with you. I mean, these, you know, it, it excites me on multiple levels, wink, wink, nod, nod. And, you know, I, I think there's so much, like you said, if we do these monthly conversations, because I know between the work that you do with men, the majority of the work of, that I do with women and with couples, this is just liquid gold here for people to be listening to, to enhance their dating life. And ultimately, we're going to get more into relationship depth and talk about how to, you know, begin to blend families post-divorce. I mean, there's so much for us to share with you guys. So it might be liquid, but maybe not gold. Okay. <laughs> couldn't resist well, thank- that one yeah i know i know <laughs> thanks you guys so much for tuning in to this joint branded podcast of journey forward with jory rose and this is dr john with the evolved caveman and if you liked this episode please feel free to rate like review and share it with everyone that you know and if you didn't like it you don't need to do a damn thing that's right All right. Thanks, love. This was fun. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 